I'm joined this week by the multi-award winning recruitment entrepreneur, Simon LaFosse, who's built a fantastic business, LaFosse Associates. We're going to be talking about the journey, the journey to date, the simple underlying principles that have helped him, uh, him and his team build this amazing uh, recruitment agency. The simple obsession with caring and raising the standards in the industry. Really, really interesting chat for anybody interested in scaling, building a great business, worth a listen. Right, so very, very warm welcome to the TRM podcast to Simon LaFosse, founder and chairman of LaFosse Associates. Thank you for joining us, Simon. Pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Pleasure. Um, so listen, I, want to, I, I know you set up the business in, in 2007, and since then you've, you've um, won Best Company to Work For, I think, six times, uh, Virgin Fast Track at least three times, multiple award-winning uh, categories uh, as a recruiting, recruitment agency. I quite like to go back to the beginning and, and your philosophy when you started out, because it seems, you know, when I was doing my research and reading about it and listening to things you've talked about, that it was, it was actually f- very, very simple in terms of what you were trying to build. Where did, where did it all kick off and why? Yeah, it is simple. <laughs> I'm quite simple, so that helps, right? Um, when did it kick off? I, t- I tell you what, I don't think I've talked about this much before, but it is an interesting point. So... Um, you know, there's some people that are kind of born to be entrepreneurs and all of that kind of guff, right? And I, I definitely wasn't one of those. I was 42 years old when I started the company and, and I'm quite risk adverse. So I could easily not have ever started that company. And the reason I think I did, and I had been thinking about it for an awful long time, but I hadn't been making that decision because of the risk, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I think there was, there was a moment that made me decide I needed to leave that company, the company I was with at the time. And that was when I was doing something that was quite within my capability. I'd kind of built a, a business within a business and I couldn't see how it's, well, you know, I can maintain it, but it, it didn't have much more natural growth in it. And I was looking around the business and there was a bit that wasn't going very well. And, I, and it wasn't a big piece of the business, but I said to my boss at the time, I said, how about I get involved with that? I really think I could add some value. And he kind of thought about it for a while and he came back and he went, actually, you know what, Simon? Um, I think we're good here. We'd like you to carry on doing what you're doing. You're doing that really well. I said, yeah, I know that. <laughs> you're doing that really well. And, um, uh, and, but we're good. And I just thought that's really interesting. Uh, and it was that moment where I just thought up to that point, I spent 15 years there and I'd always been challenged from a career perspective. And it was always exciting because of that. And I just thought, well, I'm, there's a clear message there that actually we'd like you to just carry on turning the handle. And, and so that was what started the whole process. But it is an interesting thing when you, because, you know, w- w- now you think about that as an, as an employer, if you've got somebody who wants to do a bit more um, and, uh, and, and, and you don't pay proper attention to that, mm. or, you know, even if it's just explaining why that's not the right thing for them, mm. uh, but ideally leveraging that kind of enthusiasm to make something better, uh, if you don't pay attention to that, mm. You're in trouble, and it's a tiny point in a way, but it is a, it is an important one because it was that failure actually that has allowed me to build this business, and without which I would never have had the courage to make that decision. I think so. It's just a, it's one of those funny quirks. But the, so I'm not really answering your question. To answer your question, it was all about the recruitment industry is a bit negligent when it comes to candidate care and sometimes care within the company as well. You know, it can be 
recruitment organisations, certainly then, could all be a little bit focused on, on sales, a bit dog-eat-dog. And I could just see that wasn't bringing out the best in people and, and probably wasn't getting the best productivity, engagement, retention, all of those things. And um, so I thought, in my experience, you treat people well, they treat you well. Mm. Uh, so there's, there's definitely something interesting there, um, both internally and externally. And as, as we all know, we still haven't got candidate care right. I don't think La Fosse Associates got candidate care right. We'd, we'd try, uh, and I'd like to think we're better than the norm in the industry, but I think there's still a long way to go with that. And, and so it was those, it was those two things but both, that both coalesce under one word, which is care. It, it didn't seem to me that there was enough care taken in our industry. And it felt like a business opportunity uh, because I think people really appreciate it, whether they're employees or whether they're candidates, or whether they're clients, just genuine care. And, you know, care is a funny thing, isn't it? It's quite an emotive word and it's quite a subjective thing, but, but, but you can also apply it quite widely. So care can be taking care to put an outstanding shortlist together. Care can be taking time and effort to appraise somebody in your team where you've got to give them difficult feedback. And if you don't care about them, it's quite easy to go, yeah, yeah, you're fine. Or if they don't take feedback well, you know, so care can be quite hard edged because in that instance where you're giving somebody feedback that is uncomfortable for you to give, it's uncomfortable for them to receive and you have a feeling that they're not going to take it very well. Yeah. But you know you have a duty to do it. You'd only do that if you really cared. Yeah. And so, so that, was, that was it really. And you're right, it is simple. And it's, you know, we've got three values, care, humility and ambition but care is the one that sits in neon lights behind the desk and I think that's the, the central one with the other two are kind of play, play a supporting role and I, I am humility is almost there to balance the ambition okay yeah because if you had care and humility together you'd yeah. kind of think, oh happy clappy lifestyle company but we're not you know we, we've yeah. grown 30 percent on average 30 percent for the last 15 years so there's there's definitely ambition there but it's not at any cost in fact it's it's using care in an ambitious way to, to drive results. That's, that's probably the, the best way I can sum up what we're, what we're trying to do. How do you? And, and of course, gloriously getting it wrong all of the time, but that's what, definitely, what, <laughs> definitely what we're trying to do. That's the, that's the fun bit, getting it wrong, getting it right. Um, now, there's a couple of things you touched on. A, when I was just listening to you talk about your previous boss who maybe didn't sort of get under your skin enough to say, actually, what does Simon really want out of this? Um, it just reaffirms my, I've got this conviction that the ability to coach of the management team at every level is just utterly critical now more than ever to get under the skin and understand people. Um, but the and, the, and the other thing when it comes to the caring piece, this, um, uh, I've always been more into reputations than brand. And I think I love businesses who say, right, with reputation, we're going to be famous for this. We're going to get there one way or another, and we're going to be relentless and obsessive about it. How amazing would it be if we can get that and everybody, whether it's candidates, clients, employees, are saying and feeling that about us, that's a great place to be. How did you how did you kind of translate that back to business success in, from a commercial point of view? Was that fairly was it fairly obvious in the sense that if you care for people, they'll 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 behave in a way that'll grow the business or was it more scientific? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it was it, to me, it was really obvious. So. I, I guess I can give you two, uh, two, two, two areas in which it was obvious. One is internal, the other is external. So uh, I, I did a number of things at my previous company. And one of the things I did towards the end was I built the CIO search practice from nothing really up to something that kind of, that where, we, where we were definitely punching above our weight 
because we were really a kind of mostly a contingent recruitment company. And we, were, we built it to the point where we're competing with the big global search firms on, on, on big searches. So um, in that situation, it became hugely obvious to me that uh, you really needed to treat those people well. Uh, and, and interestingly, that feels like a no-brainer. You know, it's like treat the CIO well. Or really, no shit, Sherlock. But um, but actually, what I saw amongst our competitors was this degree of arrogance, and they just weren't really doing that. You know, because they were getting these mandates, and and they and they just were being relatively transactional with them. And I was just automatically, I was like, you know, really look after them, uh, whether I'm going to place them or not. And uh, one, because I respected them, but two, because it seemed to make sense from a business perspective. The consequence of that, I got more and more business referred to me. So, you know, it's like, hello, <laughs> you know, that again, it's not, it, none of it's rocket science. Uh, and, and, the, and the second thing was internally, I saw really when people were not treated well internally, that um, they would fight with each other, they compete with each other, they behave in a way which was damaging to the business. Um, it, it, they behave, yeah, there was no one sense of we're all trying to do this together. And why should there have been? Because they're all working towards their own personal agendas. They weren't particularly tied in from an equity perspective. And there was a bit of a cultural void. So in that situation, you've got quite a dark Darwinian environment. Uh, it's like, almost like an absence of leadership. And so I saw those two things that just seemed to be destroying value rather than creating it. And so you just flip it. And look, you know, all of this sounds very arrogant because the company I worked for was brilliant, actually, and achieved some amazing things. But like all companies, they, they go in cycles. And, and, and I, I think towards the end, it, it was really dipping uh, in terms of what a lot of what a lot of a lot of what it was good at. But um, th that was definitely the opportunity for me was to was to be able to apply things because I failed, I think, to despite being a senior person in the other company, I'd failed to influence the board sufficiently well to, to put those kind of things at the heart of what it was doing. Mm. And so um, you, you end up as e either, you have a choice there, you either stay there and become one of those corporate whingers, which is just the worst type person, right? <laughs> or you kind, of, you kind of vote with your feet and go, actually, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm convinced of this, so that's what I want to do. Why? Why? I remember a book that came out in the in the 19s called Assertive Service Profit Chain, and at the heart of it was this model that was so simple. It said, if you look after your employees, they'll look after your customers, and then you commercial, you'll get your commercial success. And it was so mind-bogglingly simple, uh, and there's a lot of science behind it, but that's fundamentally what it was about. When you describe what you what you do in terms of we're going to give the utmost care to candidates, clients, employees, etc. And as a result of that, they're going to behave differently. We'll get the engagement, retention, referrals, and all that kind of good stuff. It is so simple and common sense. So why, you know, having been in the industry as long as you you have, why do not people more more people really, really go after it um, with the kind of commitment and, and relentlessness that you have? It's a, it's a really good question. I've thought about it so much, and I think it's really simple. I think um, it, it doesn't directly drive short-term results. You know, KPIs, watching your KPIs do, doing deals, you know, on a monthly basis, you can, you can graph that, and you see the invoices go out, and the invoices come in. And so I think 
if you look at that and then you kind of work then you kind of work from that you go okay so we placed three people this month each um how can we place four then you might end up with a short-term hack that allows you to do that <clears throat> um you know whatever that might be putting in more calls working longer hours you know i don't know or if it's about increasing profit, profitability, maybe that might be paying people less. And all of those will run through to the bottom line relatively quickly. So you can very easily go, that's what dri is driving business success. But of course, if you pay people less, then ultimately you may make more money for six months, but they're going to leave. Uh, if, if you work people harder, they're going to burn out. Um, you know, if, if you, say, spend less time on the candidates that you don't think you're going to place in terms of just looking after them well, uh, then you can probably drive your short-term placement ratios, but but then you're over over time your your brand is going to get damaged, and so I think it's about trying to remove. It's about trying to look at what are value creators, and I, you know it's it's rather than say short-term or long-term, it's what what are the true value creators, mm -hmm. and and if you look at it that way, then you don't look at the timeline so much. Yeah. And, you know, some companies do need to look at the timeline because they're going bust or, or whatever, or, or, or they've got to make profit this month. So, you know, I'm, I'm fully appreciative of that. But don't make that your long-term strategy because that's, a, you know, you may need to behave differently to get yourself out of a hole. I, I get that. Uh, um, but it's about what's going to create, what's really going to create value. And we, we all know it's things like that. As you say, it's so simple. That employee's first thing. You're absolutely right. It's it's true. Everybody knows it, but it's easy to ignore it because it's like, yeah, but we just we're under budget this year, or we're doing this, or you know, or yeah, I know somebody wasn't behaving that well, but they're billing a lot. It's like, well, of course, the right decision to say they're not behaving well. They're making the culture a little toxic, or certainly they're, they're damaging the culture. You you've got to make a decision between the short term revenue that that person's bringing in. And the long-term value that they're, they're they're destroying that you may not see for a year or two years, but it, but you know it's there. You, you yeah. really know it's there. It's just yeah. easy to ignore it. So I yeah. think it's probably about having conviction. I think. Yeah. Okay. But anyway. back to that employee's first thing. Such a good point. There is a business, a software business. I don't know how they're doing now. But they had a really punchy uh, CEO who just said, uh, and their logo. You might you might remember it was. Uh, employees first, customers second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, deliberately provocative. And I thought, what is he talking about? Yeah. And then I listened to him and I just thought, of course, of course. You can't, if you're putting your customer, if you're putting your employees second, then your customers are, are, are going to get a second rate service. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's isn't to say putting your employees first results in customers getting great customer care, but putting your employees first and directing them in the right way is, is definitely going to be a better result than just pointing them at customers and go, treat them really well. Uh, and, and the employee could be looking at you go, well, you're not treating me well. Why the hell should I do that? And, you, and, and it doesn't matter how much you tell them. If, you haven't, if you're not starting with them, you've got, you've, got, you've got nowhere to go, really. Yeah. Well, you, you made a comment I just want to touch on, which is um, about candidate care being so hard to achieve. Um, I'm just quite interested. I, I've got this theory. I've got lots of theories. Some of them are complete rubbish, probably. But but um, the candidate is underrepresented strategically in recruitment businesses. When I look at, and again, recruitment network members are typically a, a bit smaller than you, but 
um, when I look at business plans, when I look at board packs, when I look at uh, slides, you know, slide decks, at annual presentations or quarterly presentations, um, when I look about what we shout about, the candidate seems to be get uh, shortchanged strategically. Why, for a business that's been going 15 years with care at the heart of it, you're clearly really good at it. You're not quite as good as you, from the sound of it, you want uh, as you want to get to. Why? Why is that so hard to achieve? It, I think it's really simple. Um, we have about twenty thousand people applying to us every month, uh, and we place a, a few hundred of them. Okay. So, so if you then roll that back a little bit, in order to place a few hundred, uh, we're say talking to, I don't know what the numbers are, uh, or, or, or the people in that pipeline directly in that pipeline towards this kind of shortlisting process are say a couple of thousand, two or 3,000. So you've got mm. 17,000 there that are coming into you every month that aren't really part of your critical business processes for that month. Yeah. So you then have a choice, don't you? Do you completely ignore them because they're not adding value in this month? Or do you go, there's 17,000 there for whom we can help in some way, shape or form, or at least uh, at a very basic level, acknowledge the fact that they've applied to us and uh, and if they're not going to be successful, uh, let them know promptly that they've been rejected. And if the client is prevaricating on it, let them know that that's a situation too. You know, and that's at its most basic level. Yeah, there's other stuff we try and do, and we, we, but again, I just don't think we do it as well as we can. And that will be part of what we'll we'll be focusing on doing better over over the coming months and years, which is running more programs for them to help them the ones we can't directly help um, to, to give them good advice and guidance, not, not just something on a, on a website, which is better than nothing, but spending time with them face to face. And there's so, there's so much stuff that can be done there that I think is genuinely helpful to them, but is economically viable as well. And, but, but I think that is, that is your classic dilemma, mm. uh, which Thank is, you. And, you know, and, and on, with a busy recruiter, it's like, do I take every call of the candidate, you know, if, if 10, 20 candidates are calling me a day that I, I can't help at all, do I take that call? Mm. Um, and if I do, what do I say to them? You know, so, so there's, 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 there's really tough stuff to try and sort out there that, um, as I say, we, we don't have the answer to. I think we're, we're better at it. Our intent is definitely better. And I think some of our delivery, well, our delivery is generally better than the industry norm for sure, but I still think us and the whole industry has got a, a, a lot further to go yeah no, it reminds me you and i were talking off air about goodwood um and, and your experiences there and and and, and uh, as i said they were a client for years and one of the things that we did we had a fixed group of members of the goodwood road racing club and there was a it was a there was a capacity so there was a massive waiting list and we we started to create a waiting list experience just to make sure the levels of engagement, et cetera, et cetera, was, was good. No, it's really interesting. Can I go, um, are there any other particular philosophies, obviously totally values led, totally obsessive about care. Are there any other philosophies that, that when you look back at the, the last 15 years that have underpinned your success? Not, not really. I think, um, no, I just think being relentless about the, the, those two things. I think, the one thing I would, the one thing I would probably add to that is, is this idea of being open to feedback, and um, 
and looking for it and, and dealing with it. And I, again, I don't think we get that right. I think nobody likes to be told by their boss that they're not doing something very well. And a, a normal human reaction to that is to explain why the boss is incorrect or why, uh, yes, but you didn't understand this or, or uh, to get your, def you know, to defend your position. Yeah. It's, a, it's a natural human response. And I've done it a gazillion times myself. And at what point do you stop trying to, uh, as I say, kind of to, to kind of be very pejorative about it, just trying to explain why they're not actually right about that? At what point do you go, thank you? I know that's well intentioned. Yeah. Say nothing more than th thank you and, and use it. And that's a really difficult thing to do. And, um, Again, if you've got humility, it's easier to do. If you're, mm. taking, if you're taking care with the people you're, you're, you're giving feedback to, uh, it's, it's, an easier, it's an easier thing to do because feedback can be delivered badly, can't it, as well? But even good feedback sometimes, if yeah. you've got an oversensitive person, and I put myself in that category, uh, it's, really, it's really difficult to take it. And, and especially if you're really ambitious as well, because you want to demonstrate why, yeah, that might have happened, but it was because of this, right? <laughs> so, so I think there's a there's a real opportunity for us to all get better at giving and receiving feedback because it is such, you know, it's, it sounds like a corporate cliche, but it is a gift. It's a real gift. On your, um, I'm just interested on your, your scaling journey because every, every business leader is balancing sort of consolidating the good stuff and scaling. What, what's, what are some of the lessons you've learned about scaling from you starting out, presumably on your own, um, to building this, this business you've got? That, that it can be chaotic and that you've got to find a degree of comfort in the chaos, which, which doesn't mean never sort shit out, right? But, but it does mean that you can't, what's it, we can do anything, but we can't do everything. And a good example would have been, I've seen so many people start businesses and they kind of, they spend the first three months on getting the marketing message absolutely right and the, the website looking beautiful and all of the processes set up around the invoicing and the, and spend a lot of time with lawyers and accountants and and you know and etc etc uh whereas the, i think your first activity needs to be how, where am i going to get my first invoice from and that sounds a bit brutal and it's a bit, a bit basic yeah but 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 success breeds success and and you don't need to know how to send an invoice until you've got an invoice to send in its simplest form right and guess what you'll work that out yeah. you'll really work that out and and so it's about i think working I guess what am I saying that it's about working out what the critical path is and being pretty brutal about that with yourself and self-discipline because we all love making pretty logos and marketing and that kind of stuff or you yeah. know thinking about what our vision uh, but at the end of the day you, you can't have a vision if if if, if you, it's a fundamental your business aren't right so I think definitely focus on on the right things at the right time for, for the business is 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 is, is pretty key um, and um, don't use as you scale, don't use that, don't allow yourself to become too comfortable with the chaos because then you just can't scale. So th there is a point actually where you've got to flip it, where, you, where you, you, you say, I've got to really embrace process, which doesn't mean it's bureaucracy, which doesn't mean it's slowing down. It's actually something that speeds you up. So it's quite sexy really in a kind of way. Like, no, process is brilliant. Having something where you've got a, something that's repeatable rather than having to reinvent it every month or whatever is, is really exciting. But the challenge there, again, is, is getting somebody to put an appropriate process in for the size of business you are at the time. 
and also accept that that's only going to work for so long. I mean, if I look, our accounting department's a great example. You know, we started off with something that was fit for purpose then and then became just a, a bunch of spaghetti and we probably left it for too long and then you, you kind of sort it out again. And um, so, so there's, some, there's something there. I'm not, I'm, I don't think I'm articulating it very well, but there's definitely something there which is about... Uh, and, 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 and actually, culture is a really interesting one because when you're talking about accounts, it's obvious, right? You should have good processes there. When you talk about culture and you go, we're past the Dunbar number, you know, this kind of idea that you can't know everybody past about, you can't have a personal connection with everybody past about 120. So how do you perpetuate culture there? Well, the answer is all of the things you were doing before, plus a little bit of process and structure and, and you know, maybe measure it, maybe mm. actively reward it a bit more closely now, but, but, you, but those are processes. Uh, and, but they're, they're beautiful processes because they're helping you to keep something special to your company as opposed mm. to slowing everybody down. And so I think that definitely hits a lot of companies where they've kind of got to that 60, 70, 80, where there's two things generally happen. One, they can't put the processes into scale or they don't, they choose not to. They think they can carry on flying by the seat of their pants. Um, or, and or they genuinely are trying to, they're still trying to keep control of the business. I went through a really painful business where it's kind of said, Simon, you've got to have a management team of 40, 50. You've got, to, you've got to have managers, right? So I put my management team in and that, that's it. I'm done now. I've got my managers. And then, of course, they all went off at different speeds and they gave me a completely different set of problems. But even then, I was still not delegating properly to them. And I was using the excuse that, well, they're not fully developed, so I can't delegate that. But, but so that idea of, of, of letting go and being able to delegate, let them make mistakes. And I'm still, struggling, I'm still struggling with it. My feedback from... from the senior leadership team is could you please let us make more mistakes you know allow us to do that you've got to give us a bit more space so i'm still struggling with that one so um you know it's cobbler's children really but i but i recognize the importance of it and i'm now preaching that to the team below despite despite it still being a weakness of mine which is really you know give them space that doesn't mean just neglect them it means it means exactly that give them a little bit of space and pick, pick them up when when things don't don't go right but try not to say i told you so or to use them or to blame them because <clears throat> they ain't going to take a risk next time for you mm. um and, and yours just the philosophy on building the leadership team that you've built because you've, you've got multiple offices and multiple geographies um what have you learned about that over the years yeah, that, that is really really difficult <clears throat> and that people uh, can can be good for you for a certain amount of time and then it, either they're not right for you or you're not right for them and you need to accept that and d deal with it in a really if really careful way on both sides and with respect <clears throat> but uh, I think you, it's easy to be over loyal yeah um and it's it's not fair on the people if, if you've got somebody in a job who's struggling then it's not fair on everybody else that mm -hmm. in the business it's, it's not fair on them because they're in a stressful position uh, so, so if you're in that situation uh, and they and you've tried everything in terms of their own development and you've genuinely put everything behind that then then you need to do something and mm -hmm. that may be giving them a different job it may be saying it's time for us to part and i think there's there are ways to do that that are that are, are really gentle uh, and kind actually because 
often you see where you've done that where and maybe it's your maybe it's my fault in the first place of over promoted somebody or the company's mm. just grown so fast they're just they're just not up for the journey and they're struggling and actually once you have that kind of open conversation you say look how, how can we do this whether it's finding another job in the organization or whether it's helping you to, to, to go elsewhere there's this sense of relief because we're both talking about the elephant in the room and and they're not enjoying the journey either yeah so I think that's that's quite key is is and, and when you think care and humility, two of our two of our core values. Uh, but that's talking about being really well, in some senses, being really tough mm. um, and, and uncompromising. And I think we've had to do that on occasion. And it's hurt me hugely, especially the people who whose hearts really in it are really loyal to the company. You know, mm. they've done everything they can, but it doesn't mean they're the right person in the right job anymore. Yeah. And if you, if you look at the one to give you know to give myself a kind of context to making decisions like that, you've got to look at the whole organisation and say, does, is that is that being disrespectful to the people that are being led by them, or the people that are getting less than optimum results from their colleagues mm. as a as a consequence of you having the wrong people in the wrong jobs, even though they might have been right for them a few years mm. ago mm. because of, because we've grown or because they've changed. Uh, are, are you fulfilling your promise to the broader team? And the answer always is no. So, you know, if you struggle with it, that I think is quite a good way of, of coming to the, the answer that's right for the organisation. Yeah, no, and, and, and that makes total sense. I, I've always had this two traits that I've seen. I've been lucky enough to work with some amazing businesses. Is one a, a complete learning culture, and the second one is about clarity. You know, what is the role? What is the whether it goes back to the values and the behaviours, the standards, the experiences that strategy the plan just that clarity does make it easier for people to understand almost self-manage a little bit saying actually this is what's expected i'm not quite there no fascinating can i can i just one last area i'd like to explore simon is is um i recently i did uh, our summer retreat i came up with a, a recruitment barometer about what's hot and what's not in the world of recruitment and what the most progressive companies will be doing moving forward i'm just quite interested in in in, in your view about the evolution of uh, recruitment agencies moving forward and what the most progressive will be doing that bit better than others moving forward beyond the sort of you know being great employers but but what, what will they be doing what will they take into market yeah i i mean like us all i don't i don't i don't know i, I can see what people are trying to do at the moment I, i'll talk i'll talk a little bit about what we're trying to do so where we see where we see the future and the opportunity but, you know, if you talked to me five years ago, I was really worried about the supposed disruptors like Hire.com, the ones that were trying to replace the, the person element uh, in, in recruitment with, or, or a big chunk of it with, with, with technology. And if I'm really honest, I thought they were going to be more successful than they have been. But what I find really interesting is that, you know, I think Hire has something like 120 million behind it. And it looked as if it was doing what it did quite well, but it pretty much collapsed. I mean, they mm. technically sold it, but uh, not very much. Uh, and um, and I can't see any, I can see a lot of funding going into that because it seems like such an opportunity in such a big industry sector. It seems so ripe for disruption. But so I, I don't see so much in terms of the technology. I think if you take a 20 year view, is it going to be different? Of course, it's going to be different. You know, 15 years ago or 20 years ago, we had job boards that are going to you know, stop the industry and then we had LinkedIn and, and these things have made fundamental changes to our industry, but but the thing but the industry is still growing. It's almost like they're they're mechanisms that have allowed us to leverage more the uh and and, and hopefully do what we do better and add more value to, to to companies. But um 
it is becoming more commoditized, I think. So you've got to work out whether you want to play at the bottom end, you know, the race to the bottom. Do you want to do that stuff? Um, RPO is definitely an opportunity to take on bigger contracts, but at relatively low margins. And the clients we speak to don't really seem to be getting the value that they thought they get from RPOs. So I don't think that's a, I think there are some businesses, multi-billion pound businesses that have been built off, recruitment built off the back of, you know, effective RPO businesses, but they're relatively low margin, most of them. And, uh, and as I say, client, the clients don't really, by and large, seem to be delighted with the service they're getting from them. And that's, mm. I know that's a massive generalization. So I think that's something that's happened, isn't it? Whether we'll see it coming back from that a little bit or not, I don't know. Um, I think one of the things that we're really excited about is recruitment has necessarily always been about moving people around and it's a fair criticism leveled at us. You're not really helping the industry in that regard. You're just take robbing Peter, pay Paul. And, and something we started three or four years ago is a business called Future Proof, which is a recruit, train and deploy business. Uh, and so we're, we're finding uh, people who want to become developers, putting them through a 13 week course free of charge, and then, and then, uh, and then they're being employed by clients through us for, for a couple of years. And that's working really well. Uh, it allows us to put proper diversity in, into clients, which is becoming, as you know, much more important um, uh, because we can select from a, 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 you know, a massive pool because it's a free training course. Uh, so, so we're doing two things. One, we're addressing the issue of diversity in the tech industry, which is, which is pretty, uh, pretty significant uh, issue. And secondly, we're adding, we're adding to the population and, mm. and it's chronic, it, there's a chronic shortage, as you know. So that feels really exciting. Mm. Uh, uh, as I say that, it's cost us quite a lot of money and investment over a three or four year period. We lost nearly a million pounds on it last year. So that is quite a long term and quite a big investment. And this year, it won't, I don't think it'll make any money. It'll make maybe a couple hundred thousand for us. Mm. But we see the profit coming through the year after and the year after that. So we've yet to prove that, but the numbers suggest that the profit will come through. It feels like it's really getting traction. And I, and I love the idea that the recruitment industry is, uh, is, is, is now having this opportunity uh, to, to be able to in, increase the, the audience size and do something more proact uh, proactive about diversity. Because of course, an, a, a, an employer saying it's your problem, get me a diverse shortlist. It's, it's not actually; it's our problem because there just aren't the numbers at an, uh, mm. that, that you'd like that with, with 10, 20, 30 years of experience. Uh, so you know, when was the best time to when's the best time to address diversity? Well, twenty years ago, <laughs> and 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 now. Right? So we didn't address it twenty years ago. So we need to address it now, but at a at a grassroots level. And so though that is really exciting for me. Um, Having said that, um, as, as you can see from the time it's taking us to, 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 to get it profitable, uh, uh, and it is a, you know, it's a very different business model and it's a marketplace. You've got to build them like this. You've got to have outstanding trainers. You've really got to have good partnerships with clients who, who, are, who are willing to help you help, help those people along that, along that journey. So it's not a panacea and it's de definitely not a get rich quick thing, but I think we're quite a long-term company and I think if we carry on plugging away at this, we, we've got something potentially really special for the future of the company. And by the way, with a, with a much more attractive, um, you know, valuation off, off the back of it, if we can make if we can make it work. So that 
that's that's a big one for me and quite an exciting one. Um, but mostly, you see the recruit, train, and deploy as separate to other as separate to recruitment. Mm. Very few. There's a few recruitment businesses that are flipped 100. percent There's very few that do both, which I don't quite understand because I think there's a lot of synergy between the two. But um, the free market suggests it's quite a difficult thing to do. So, mm. Mm. Um, as I say, yeah, we've yet to make profit out of it. So, watch, watch this space. But we're 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 committed to it. We think we can make it work. And we're really excited about trying to. So let, let, let's see. I absolutely love the sound of that. 15 years ago in corporate days, I was in HRD. And just that that offering just really, uh, really excites me. And it does, you know, everybody I talk to says it's all about strategic partnerships. It's all about relationships. It's all about the long term. And that just seems a great sticky model. Um, no, very exciting. Look forward to... Uh, seeing that one move forward um two very quick questions simon uh conscious of time if you just uh, i'm always interested in what people are reading is the one particular business book that you um has shaped your thinking a little bit or you're reading recently that you think uh i should be adding to my book list um i'm sure you've read it already but but uh Sinex start with why yeah uh, and that, you know that that for me really reinforced how i thought about things and gave some structure to it and also helped you communicate it to other people. So I, I love that. They look, there's a bunch of them. My wife always uh, tells me, she's absolutely right. You buy way more books than you read. So, um, uh, which is which is true, because I'm a sucker for it, but but actually most of them could be about a chapter or two. And, yeah, uh, I agree, I agree. There's, there's a business model there that is actually a little bit above what they do, this, the current synopsis is and the full thing. I'd, I'd like <laughs> something right, right in the middle of that. But, I will but, send uh, you. I will send you the service profit chain in one slide, and you'll um, you'll love it. Fant fantastic. Um, and 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 final thing, just any any sort of um business or business leader or, or leader in life that's particularly inspiring you, at the moment. Yeah, it's a really unpopular one to say because my kids refuse to 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 use the service at all. But um, Amazon, I think are. Uh, look, we all know what their his, history is or their supposed history is in terms of the, 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 the way they treat their, their employees. I, I think it's probably got more bad press than it deserved. Um, but, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an aspect of their organization. And I think their fixation on, on customer mm. ha, has been brilliant. Uh, and being able to do that and not worry about uh, driving short-term profit out of it but, but knowing that if, if they develop a reputation as a, as a company that always does what it says it will, when it doesn't mm. sort it out, um, uh, they, they, they just manage to do that at, at a massive scale and mean it and, and really continue to deliver on it. It's not just a, a, a marketing. Mm. You know, it's like you, you made a lovely comment, which I've written down, I'll use again, which is it's about reputation, not brand, you know, when you're talking about marketing. And, and you know, when I talk about, when I think about Amazon, it's not, it's not, I don't think about their brand, I think about their reputation, mm. but that's the value piece for me, which is that mm. uh, they just, they consistently care about doing the right thing for the customer. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've had money back from them. Well, I haven't even asked yeah. for it. I mean, yeah. how extraordinary is that? No, it, it, no I, I, I'm, I'm very comfortable with that one. In fact, we've just taken on somebody from Amazon and their, their mindset is phenomenal. They have, they are very, very, whether it's about process, uh, customer session, it's fascinating to watch them. So it's been mm -hmm. brilliant. Um, Simon, massive thank you for um, 
joining me and sharing your thoughts and experiences and views on life and recruitment and, and everything else. Um, absolutely fascinating business. I can't wait to see where you go with your uh, um, with the with the new model. Sounds exciting. And um, yeah, sounds like you build a very very special business. So thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Gordon. Been nice chatting to you. See you soon.